play will begin shortly. Okay, good. Looks like we're up on Facebook as well. So that is great. Greetings, brethren, and welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. just want to uh, get confirmation that uh, my sound is coming through here. I uh, just need confirmation, so I'll just wait uh, 30 seconds here. In fact, I will I'll go ahead and open with prayer. I just need you to confirm that uh, the sound is, in fact, coming through. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, pause as we come before you uh, in these very uh, tumultuous times. Uh, we just thank you, Father, that despite all the uncertainty that surrounds us, we have the certainty of your word. We have the solid rock, Jesus Christ, and we have your promises, Father, which can never fail. Uh, we thank you for this, and we thank you for giving us the opportunity and the desire to study your word. Father, please bless us now as we continue in the book of Judges. We ask your blessing on our study, your blessing on our understanding, and that these words that we study, Father, would actually transform our minds, our beings, our souls, our hearts, that we would love you, Father, entirely. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Very good. Uh, thank you, Pastor Murray. Got your confirmation there. So let's, uh, let's continue now. In the uh, book of Judges, we're up to uh, Judges chapter 9. And let's just uh, get this up here. Judges 9. So uh, you'll remember uh, we were in Judges 8 last week. In fact, I want to just pick up that the last part of Judges 8 as we continue now in Judges 9. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. So remember this, they, that he was so successful in conquering the Midianites that they wanted to make him king. And he said, no, 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 no. I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. So he definitely had the right understanding that he was just a judge. He was just a savior. His purpose was to bring down Midian and to release Israel from the oppression, which he did. But it was not to be the king. God is their king. So he had that right in verse 23. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that he actually did become their king. So he didn't actually take on the title King Gideon, but functionally, he became their king. So we see here that uh, Gideon said unto them, verse 24, I would desire a request of you, however, just, just one small thing, uh, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And we know that these people were moon worshipers, and they had the crescent moons as their jewelry, and it probably looked spectacular. 
And so Gideon kind of got a taste for that and saw the, the regalia and how, you know, they, they conducted themselves with great pride and, and, and pomp and circumstance. And he liked that. Uh, so they, they, they agreed to give him that, that uh, wealth and he became very, very wealthy, probably the wealthiest man in, in, uh, in the area. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. So what would he be doing with the purple raiment? So he sees how these kings conduct themselves and the, the beauty of the purple. And he's like, I, I like that. So now that he's got it, you think he would wear it? You think he would now separate himself as the savior of Israel, who's wearing these purple garments and has all of this gold? How can Israel not but look to him as now their, their king and their leader? And, and clearly from the way he behaves and the way his children behave, that was functionally what happened. And beside the chains that were about their camels and necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof. So he took all of this and he made an ephod, which now not only is giving him political authority, but this is also giving him religious authority. So he makes this ephod and put it in his city so that the people will come, come to this city now, uh, Ophrah, for religious functions, even in Ophrah, as opposed to going to uh, Shiloh. And all Israel went there whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So it sounds like that was not his intention, but this is what happened. And then in verse 30, and Gideon had 70 sons of his body begotten. So he was busy because he had many wives. So Gideon, Gideon, oh, Gideon, you're so wonderful. And oh, you're very pretty. I'll take you and 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 I'll take you. So that's Gideon. And his concubine. So in addition to the wives now, he has a concubine in Shechem. She also bare him a son. So that's interesting. So he's got 70 wives. Why not have 70, or it doesn't say, sorry, 70 sons, but he has tons of wives. Why not have another one? But instead of having this wife, he makes her a concubine. So I was reading some of the commentaries and, and I, some of them are saying that maybe this is not an Israelite woman, that this might be a Canaanite woman because the Canaanites and the Israelites were mixing together. That, that, that sounds reasonable to me, but we don't know. For some reason, this woman wasn't good enough to become a wife, but she was useful to him in more ways than one uh, for pleasure, but also maybe politically to make some sort of alliance with the people in Shechem. So he makes this woman his concubine and she bears him a son and he calls him, my father is king, Abimelech. So he's grown into this role and he finally has this child and he says, okay, I'm going to call him Gideon. It's not that she named him, Gideon names him. Abimelech, Abimelech. Let's, this is down the backdrop. So we're coming now to chapter nine. And Abimelech, and remember we're studying this so that we can understand what's going on in our time today, that, that anciently what happened to Israel, it's a pattern and it repeats itself. So here we are, if you, and you know, uh, greetings to those who might be watching this in the archive. This is June, 2020. I don't know when you might be looking at this message in the future. You, so in the future, there'll be other issues. Right now, June 2020, we want to read this and understand how does it relate to our world today. So it says here, And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, 
went to Shechem. So this is the, the, the son of the concubine. He goes to Shechem, which is where the concubine lived. That's probably where he was born. And now he's, not, he's going back to Shechem unto his mother's brethren. So he's going now to his mother's brothers and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father saying, so not only so her brothers, but everybody in the father's household, everybody who's descended from that father saying to them, speak. So, so Gideon is dead. Speak, I pray you in the ears of all the men of Shechem. So he goes to them because they're related to him by blood and says, Hey, Speak to everybody in Shechem. Whether it's better for you, notice, better for you. So first of all, notice that this is about blood. So the way uh, Abimelech sees the world is through blood, not through covenant. So he doesn't care that Israel is related to him through covenant. Who cares? He prioritizes skin, ethnicity over the covenant. So he goes to the people who are related to him by physical blood, disregards those related to him by covenant. And he says to them, what is better for you? Let's talk about what's good for you. The same way Satan went to Eve and said, this is all about you. God is withholding something from you because it's about you. And Satan never mentions what's in it for him. Satan keeps himself out of the argument. And hey, Eve, this is about you and how you can have great benefits. And so here we see Abimelech coming to these people, talking to them about what's in it for them on a carnal level. Sound familiar to what we're going through right now? Either that all the sons of Jeroboam, which are 70 people, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I'm your bone and your flesh. It's like he's saying to them, hey, I'm black, you're black, black lives matter. You know, it's better for me to reign over you as a black person, or do you want everybody to reign over you? Even if they're in the covenant, who cares? So it's a very ethnic-centric argument. I'm your bone and your flesh. Now, I just want to fast forward to chapter 12, because on Sabbath... Uh, I gave a sermon entitled, Will You Plead for Baal? And in that sermon, I asked the question, what if the world was made up of only one race, your race, whatever it is? Would the world be a better world? So, so there's nobody in this world except people just like you. They look like you. They're the exact same race as you. Will that be paradise? Human nature is human nature. I'm, if I'm going to hate you because you're a different race from me, and then there's nobody else, I, I, we kill everybody that's of different races, and now there's only us left of the same race, I'm going to find another reason to hate you. That's human nature. So we mustn't fall for this line that's being fed to us, that somehow black people are super righteous and white people are super evil just because of the color of their skin. This is so evil. It, it's beyond the pale. But look at what happened to ancient Israel. Fast forward to Judges 12, and we'll be there in a couple of weeks, and we can read this in context. But for now, let's just cut in at uh, verse number four. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead. 
So this is a particular clan within Israel and fought with Ephraim, a tribe, a very powerful tribe of Israel. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim, tribal war, tribalism. You know, are we seeing ourselves now being plunged into tribalism? Instead of, instead of us seeing ourselves as Western civilization and realizing we have enemies, we have people who hate us. And, and you know, if you think of um, the Persian Empire and the um, Byzantine Empire, these were powerful empires, and they just kept fighting each other and fatiguing each other, and the Arabs came out of nowhere and destroyed them and overtook them. So we're going into this tribalism now, not remembering we have enemies out there that want to subjugate us, and we're just weakening our nation. So here we have tribal war. Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, because Ephraim said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. So, so they, they did not accept the Gileadites to dwell among them. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, are you an Ephraimite? So they hate each other. They're the same Israelites. They're covenant people. They were told to go into the promised land and inherit the promised land and enjoy the promised land. Now they're hating each other and killing each other. They're the same race. They're the same people. They're all children of Israel. So now they get this person from Ephraim who flees into the area of Gilead and they ask him, are you an Ephraimite? And he says, no. Same race. Same people, children of Israel. Then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Siboleth. So they say it with a sh. He said it with a s. Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Siboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. You know, it's like those of us in the West, if we were to go to the Middle East and they say to us, you know, say Baal. We would say bail, ball, ball. We can't say that. We can't quite form that guttural sound because we weren't born with that pronunciation. So he can't say shibboleth because he could, he, he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 42,000. Oh, what a beautiful place the world will be when it's just the world of one race because our race is just so super righteous. Here we have the covenant children of Israel. They're not just the same race, they're the same family. And they find how you pronounce a word, reason to hate you and betray you and destroy you. Please, let's not be so superficial to believe that the Black Lives Matter doctrine, that black somehow is superior and black somehow is super right. You just have to have the skin color. I, I like what Martin Luther King Jr. taught, that he had a dream that one day men would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And for us in the church, that we're going to discern the Lord's body and prioritize those in the covenant over anybody else. Do good unto all men, but especially of those of the household of faith. So... <laughs> pronunciation. And you know, you go to, uh, I'm, my, my parents are from Jamaica. They will laugh at you if they're in the city and you come from the country and you can't pronounce words correctly. And you go all over the world and you see this, but the human beings just have 
deceptive hearts and hearts full of hatred. Yeah, my, my family was also in England. You, you just speak a few words in England and they categorize you right away. They know what class you come from just by the way you pronounce your words and they will despise you because of how you speak. Same race, they're all the same race. But we always find a reason to hate each other. So let's not, let's not be easily duped and deceived. Now, look at Philippians, the Christian mind. We should be immune to Black Lives Matter. We should be immune to the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy. We should be immune to any of these causes. Why? Because we have the Christian mind. Philippians 2 verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So if we're passionate about our freedom and our oppression, that's our own things. When we see freedom being taken away from people in Hong Kong who have nothing to do with us racially, but that's Western civilization, and it's being destroyed, and freedom is being removed from people, and people are being disappeared and tortured by the hundreds of thousands, maybe by the millions. It's not our own thing. But look, the scripture says, look not, so we, Satan should not be able to seduce us by putting our own things in front of us. We should be immune because we have this mind. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who sacrificed everything, who suffered patiently because he had a higher goal in mind. And then he instructs us through the apostles that if we suffer because of something that we did, we caused it on ourselves, oh well. We broke the law and we suffer, oh well. But if we suffer because of no wrong that we've done, we, we suffer wrongfully, but we take it patiently, God takes note of this. God, God is pleased with this. So the Christian is able to suffer wrongfully, patiently, because we have a completely different agenda. We have a completely different worldview. We have a completely different time horizon. Back to Judges 9 and verse 3. So these people are as carnal as a summer day is long. And they are Israelites, and they hate each other. So here we see this man, Abimelech, the son of Gideon, or Jeroboam. He's referred to as Jeroboam now. They dropped the name Gideon. So he's the contender. It's kind of ironic. He's the contender of Baal, and yet they're plunged into Baal worship. So he's appealing to these people of Shechem through their skin, their, their blood connection, their carnal connection, over and above the covenant connection of Israel. And his mother's brethren spoke of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words. So they began to reason with the men of Shechem to say, you know what? The king, Gideon, had 70 sons. And now the 71st son is from us. But this one is just sort of the son of a concubine. He's a lesser order son. So he's not going to have the voice of the others that come from the wives. And the others that come from the wives don't come from Shechem. So if there's 71 people trying to make decisions for Israel, 
and ruling over Israel, it's not really going to be in our favor. So they're convincing Shechem to kind of see through the things through the, through the eyes of Abimelech. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he's our brother. We don't care about the content of his character. We just care about his skin color. We just care about the carnal connection we have to him. As long as he's one of ours, it doesn't matter how low he is. It doesn't matter how disgusting he is. It doesn't matter how evil he is. Hey, he's one of ours. And we'd rather have that than the covenant connection. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith. So they're, they're worshipers of Baal. And so they don't care about the covenant. This is, they care about the covenant with Baal. So they gave him 70 pieces of silver, which is interesting because there's 70, he has 70 brothers, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons. He hired vain and light persons. So, you know, this is nothing new. This is something that uh, we see all the time. If we look at this criminal record of this man that's being celebrated as the greatest thing that black people can produce, if you look at his criminal record, it's as, again, it's as long as the as summer day is long. Uh, he, he was a career criminal. And yet, these, this is the person that clever people who are striving for power, the way Abimelech was striving for power, clever people have basically hired him to seduce us. So hopefully we can see through Satan's devices. So he says here that... <clears throat> They, they hired vain and light persons. So uh, this basically means treacherous people, people who, who don't have good character. This is who they hired, which followed him. When people want power, they don't care about character. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah. So now he's got Shechem with him. He's got finances. He's able to hire these uh, low character people to join him and do his bidding. And he went into his father's house at Ophrah. It's like uh, the old George Soros uh, Antifa, where they'll pay people, hey, I'll pay you $200, light and vain people, who will kill people and destroy property for $200. The same, the patterns are the same because people don't change. People don't change. The patterns are the same. Human nature is the same. The only change we can hope for is the Holy Spirit transforming the mind. And even that is not always complete. Sometimes people start the process, but they don't complete it. We have to strive and push earnestly, contend for the faith in order to complete the transformation. That's the only hope. We, we, we want to live in a world with people who have power, but they don't have the Holy Spirit just because they have the same skin color as us. This is insanity. This is insanity for the Christian. And he went into his father's house at Ophrah. And what did he do? He slew his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. This man who sacrificed everything to fight for Israel and put down the Midianites so that Israel could be free, he goes and he slays them. Today, if I look south of the border, we see Americans 
killing fellow Americans and forgetting that some of those Americans that they killed, their ancestors fought in the Civil War to free black people so that they could be freed from slavery. The same way Jeroboam, Gideon fought for Israel. And 40 years later, they've forgotten. Few decades later, all white people are evil. And we have forgotten the high price white people paid so that black people could be free. Patterns are the same because human nature doesn't change. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah and slew, and you know, people write, so people are writing to me uh, like they want to threaten me. They're talking to the wrong person. I don't back down. You show me God's word, I stick to God's word. So if you want to reason with me, and I have people have, who have written to me or who are reasoning with me from the Bible, that's great. Let's talk. You know, talk to me from emotion and, and vile anger. It's to free. It, Christ wants us to be free. You know, it's very dangerous to cancel free speech. It's going to backfire on you. Allow people to be free. Allow people to have a different opinion from you. Enter into healthy debate, healthy exchange of ideas. That's how we grow. These people who want to shut down speech, it's going to backfire. These people who say only black lives matter, which is really like black and brown lives matter. The white life doesn't matter. The way life has unfolded is the white nations are primarily the Christian nations. They're the nations of the Bible. You have a few African nations left that are still biblical, but even they are being destroyed and being wiped out because the Middle East and North Africa was the hub of Christianity. And all of our spiritual ancestors that were in the Middle East and North Africa, they've been wiped out, they've been destroyed, they've been subjugated, they've been tortured, so that that religion now is replaced with Islam. Islam is the brown man's religion. Islam is the black man's religion. So when we say black lives matter, and no one can speak, no white man can speak, and everybody has to speak with one mind, and if you disagree with the one mind, you'll be destroyed, your business will be destroyed, you'll be canceled. We gotta think a few steps ahead, where is this going? It's going where Islam can come in and the communists will support it because they hate Christ so much, and we will not be able to speak Christ without pain of death. And we will see our brothers and sisters in Christ, just because they're a different skin color, come to a sorry end. And their blood will be on our shoulders because we supported the canceling of free speech. We supported the promotion of one thought, and that's that Black Lives Matter. Anything else is canceled. It's going to come back and bite us. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, and he slew his brother. When people want power, they don't care. They don't care about you, and they don't care about me. And you can go ahead and support them, and I can go ahead and support them. It's going to backfire. And he went into his father's house at Ophrah and slew his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, being 70 people upon one stone, notwithstanding yet Jotham, or Yotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, was left. Or he hid himself. Okay, so one, one son, the youngest, got away. That's going to come back later. Now, he slew his brethren 
what does the scripture say? What can we learn from judges that can apply to our day today? Matthew 24, verse 10. And then shall many, not a few, read the text with me, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. So if we can't sit down and talk as Christians in the covenant, love maybe we have a different opinion, but we love each other and we can listen to each other. And I love the brethren that have reached out to me in this loving spirit to say, hey, I don't fully see how you see things, but I wouldn't mind talking to you. And this is what I'm seeing. And oh, okay, I get to see what you're, and that's wonderful. That's how we grow. Iron sharpens iron. But when we see seeds of hatred and complete disrespect, and it's like, you know, <laughs> no respect for the fact that one has been appointed as an elder, none at all. And just a seething hatred. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's something that can be tapped. That's something that can be fed. That's something that can be leveraged. If we feel that, if we have this, this intense emotion, we need to check ourselves quickly because emotion is how Satan operates. Moods and attitudes and emotions. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another like the men of Shechem and shall hate one another like Abimelech. And many false teachers will arise. That's necessary and shall deceive many. That's critical. We have to have a doctrine come into our head that is separate and apart and in opposition to the doctrine of the word of God. Because if we follow the doctrine of the word of God, it says to discern the Lord's body. It says to, uh, to um, esteem your brother higher than yourself. It says to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of God. It doesn't say do good to all men, especially your own race. So there's got to be another doctrine that creeps into our minds and takes over. And we get very emotional about it. And, and we can't see anything else. This has to happen. False leaders have to come in, promoting this false doctrine that creeps into the mind. And suddenly we find ourselves hating each other. And that's the seed then for the killing, or at least the, the support of the killing. These riots that are taking place in the States, we've got to look at that and say, my brothers and sisters in Christ can easily get caught up in that. Somebody's driving and they just happen to be the wrong race and they'll pull a, a gun and shoot them in the head for no other reason than they're the wrong race. And they want to defund the police, remove the police. Our brothers and sisters in Christ will suffer if this continues. We cannot give our voice to support this, or the blood of these little ones will come upon us, and God will not hold us guiltless, as we're going to see here with Abimelech. God did not hold him guiltless. And because lawlessness, defund the police, um, take people out of prison that are hardened criminals and let them roam the streets, put people who are law-abiding citizens who are just protesting that, hey, this is my small business, I have to make a living, put them in jail and let the hardened criminals out. Because lawlessness is going to abound and we're going to get caught up with the doctrine that enables this, the love of many, the agape of many Christians shall wax cold. So we can read Judges, not with, oh, this is interesting history, but these are patterns of thinking and being 
that are patterns that just repeat their cycles that repeat themselves. What's the saying? Adversity makes men and affluence makes monsters. We have known tremendous affluence. We don't study history. If we could only look down through time and see how most human beings have lived and how the poorest of us in the West, how we live, we are, we are truly all of us, even the poorest. We have affluence compared to how most human beings, billions of human beings have lived through time and even today live on the planet. Adversity makes men. Affluence makes monsters. So here, and this is, you see this pattern in Israel, this, you know, when God steps in and saves them and releases them from oppression and they become affluent, they become monsters until they suffer again. And then we can start to get some men out of that population. And all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king. You know, many of us think of Saul as the first king of Israel. Well, actually, Abimelech was Israel's first foray into having a king. And he didn't quite get all of Israel, but that he was thirsty. He wanted all of Israel. You could even say Gideon was really the first king, although he was functionally a king. He was not declared king. He actually turned it down. But Abimelech, he's going after it with all of his might to the point of killing everybody, all of his brothers. And so these men of Shechem in the house of Milo, they made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. So there's some pillar there, and that's where they made him king. And when they told it to Jotham or Yotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem. I'm just thinking that Mount Gerizim, I didn't get a chance to study that, but it's ringing a bell. I don't know, Pastor Murray, if you're listening, if you know anything about Mount Gerizim or somebody in the chat, um, just seems to ring a bell like it should be significant. Um, but he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, hearken unto me, you men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. Okay, so this is an interesting character now. This is the one surviving son of Gideon, and he's now going to the men of Shechem who have made Abimelech king, and Abimelech slaughtered all of his brothers except for this one. So he now goes to these men of Shechem, and he says, you got to listen to me so that God will listen to you, but take notice of you. And then he speaks this parable or this fable or this um, metaphor, or I should say analogy. And he says, the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, reign over us. So they went and they found the best tree, the olive tree, sort of the symbol of the Holy Spirit and the, of uh, abundance. But the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? And so thanks, uh, Pastor Murray. I just got your note that uh, Mount Gerizim was the holy uh, location for the Samaritans. That's, that's, how, that's why it was ringing a bell. Thank you very much. But the olive tree said unto them, 
should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? Like, what? what? That's a bad, that, no, I'm not interested. And so the trees said to the fig tree, come you and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? So the, the, the fig tree isn't interested. I, I, I've, I've, got a, a, I've got a lane. I've got a function that I'm responsible for. I, I, I will stay there. So they're not, the fig tree's not interested. Then said the trees unto the vine, come you and reign over us. So we're kind of going lower in quality here, lower in, in, in benefit. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine? which cheers God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees. Then said all the trees unto the bramble. Now they've gone to the bramble. Come you and reign over us. So, so we can't find anybody to reign over us. Will you, the bramble, reign over us? And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. So what Yotham is saying to the Shechemites is you have chosen the lowest of the low to be your leader. And, and this is you know, not unlike what we see today with the political machinations that are taking place where they will take the lowest of the low and put them in front of us. So, so today, when we, what we see is suddenly a career criminal is made an angel. That we have to take this person who has zero character, and we're very, very sorry for how he died. That, that was totally wrong. That was immoral, how he was killed, how he was murdered. There's no, it's egregious. There's no excuse for it. But why are we being fed this individual as our hero? Why can we just not say, no, justice needs to be done. This officer or these officers that did this, they, they, justice needs to be done. But he's not our hero. We're going to choose people who have tremendous character as our heroes. We want our young people to look up to a Martin Luther King. To, to look up to someone who's, who's built character and, and struggled and made the world a better place. Don't, don't give us heroes that have zero character. That's, that, that's, that's an insult to our children and to our legacy. So here now, Yotham is saying to the Shechemites, the, the lowest quality has come to you. That's the, only, that's the only person that's going to accept the role that you're looking for. And the bramble said unto the trees, if in truth you anoint me, this is really Abimelech speaking, if in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, so trust me, not God. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So the bramble is nothing. The cedars of Lebanon are glorious. But if you don't give me your full adherence, if you don't hand over your full allegiance to me, then I will destroy everything 
that you hold dear. This is what the lowest character, that this is what they do because they're so hungry for power. We are being manipulated to give them our allegiance. And if we don't give them our full allegiance, they will burn up everything. They will burn up everything. Now, therefore, so this is now, he comes out of the parable or out of the uh, fable, and he says to them, talking to the Shechemites, now, therefore, if you have done truly and sincerely, in that you have made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, so remember what somebody did for you in the past to free you from oppression. So if you have integrity, and in your integrity, you are now going to swear allegiance to Abimelech, that's one thing. And if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, remember, because my father fought for you, and adventured his life far, he put his life on the line for you, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And again, what's the pattern today? White men, white women, white children, sacrificed everything. They paid the ultimate price so that black people could be freed from the Midianites, from the hand of slavery, from the oppression. So, you know, if you're going to swear allegiance to Black Lives Matter in your integrity, remembering the price that was paid, the ultimate price, how many people were slaughtered, white people, so that you could be free. If you're acting in your integrity, that's one thing. But if you're now going to swear allegiance to say that all white people are evil and you have forgotten the sacrifice, this is another matter. For my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And you are risen up against my father's house this day. And you have slain his sons, three score and ten persons upon one stone. And you've made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, the concubine, king over the men of Shechem. Why? Because he's your brother. You put carnal relations over and above the covenant. You judge just by the color of skin, over and above the spiritual bond, the bigger picture. And you chose the lowest of the law to lead you. If you then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice you in Abimelech. I hope it works well for you if you've acted in integrity. And let him also rejoice in you. I, I hope it all works out really well because you were acting it with integrity and you did not forget the sacrifices of old. You don't erase history. You remember. And you will, never, you will never be ungrateful for the ultimate price that was paid. But if not, listen to, what, listen to the curse of Yotham upon the Shechemites. Because he said, you know, the bramble, the, the, the fire will come from the bramble and destroy even the cedars of Lebanon. 
But if not, let fire come out from the lowest of the law. If not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem. He is, he's, he, he lost all his brothers. And so he sees very clearly the, the treachery. And it's like he's inspired by God to give this, this parable to the men of Shechem. And then to say, you need to examine your heart. And if you have truly acted in integrity, everything's going to be fine. But if you've acted out of treachery, then let fire come out of the very person you made king over you. Let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. What a lovely union you have. What a tremendous unity you have. You and Abimelech, you just love each other. So if you really do love each other, then may it be a long-lasting union. But if it's a carnal union made out of treachery, then may you destroy each other. This is the curse of Yotham on the Shechemites. And Yotham ran away and fled and went to Beer. And he dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. His brother. You could say his brother in the covenant, but they had the same father. And brother shall betray brother. So Abimelech just wanted power, didn't care about anything else, and would use everybody and anybody to get the power. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God, Jehovah, then God sent an evil spirit. So God endorses the curse of Yotham because Yotham was inspired by God to pronounce that curse, to give the, the metaphor of the bramble. And then to say to these men, if you've acted in integrity, everything's going to be fine. But if you've acted out of treachery and ingratitude, it's not going to go well for you, and it's not going to go well for Abimelech, and you're going to destroy each other because the, the bond is not a true bond. The only true bond we can have is the covenant bond. Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. So let's ask this question. Let's ask this question. So God sent an evil spirit. He sent it. Could that happen today? Is it possible that God could send an evil spirit today? Well, take a look at Patrice Cullors. Who is Patrice Cullors? She is the founder, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Patrice Cullors is an American artist and activist. She's an advocate for prison abolition in Los Angeles and co-founder of Black Lives Matter. So she doesn't want any criminals in prison. They should all be on the street. She also identifies as a queer activist. Okay. We know that people who are submerged in this lifestyle, they don't like the Bible. And so if she gets power, she's not going to be happy about the Bible being around or Christians being around. So if this is an Abimelech, 
and we support her in our integrity, I hope it all works out well. But if we support her and it is in ingratitude, then she's going to destroy us. And especially if you're in America and you have the Second Amendment, you may destroy her and her followers as well. So it's, not, it's going to be a civil war and it's not going to be good. Now, her biography says where she grew up. And I just wanted to find something here. Let me just go back. And I'm looking for a particular, here it is. Okay. So she grew up in Pacoma, Pacoima, low-income neighborhood. She became an activist. She later earned a degree in religion. So this is not someone who does not know religion. She studied it. She earned a degree in religion and philosophy. And so she was forced from home at 16 when she revealed her queer identity to her parents. She was involved in the Jehovah Witness as a child, but became disillusioned with it. And she developed an interest, listen to this, can God send an evil spirit today to activate this destruction? She developed an interest in the Nigerious, Nigerian religious tradition of Ifa, incorporating its rituals, listen to this please, incorporating its rituals into political protest events. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That if we are involved in her political activist events, she has designed them in such a way that she incorporates the religious tradition of Ifa into these events. So what is Ifa? What does that mean? That she incorporated this into her events. So Ifa is a Yoruba religion and system of divination. I, I'm just stunned that we don't do our research. We will not condemn this evil movement simply because it claims the same skin color. This is a Yoruba religion and system of divination. I think the Torah is pretty clear about divination. Its literary corpus or its Bible is the Oda, Odu Ifa, or in Mila is identified as the grand priest, as he is who revealed divinity and prophecy to the world. So it's not Christ. This, 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 the, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That's what Revelation tells us. That's not, that's not what they believe. They believe that this grand priest, Arun Mila, is the, is the originator of prophecy. So this religious system is a Yoruba religion. So let's drill down on that. The Yoruba people are an ethnic group that inhabits Western Africa, mainly Nigeria and Benin. And I, if you I did a study on tongues. If you look in, in the archive for Acts 2 to see what tongues is and how this voodoo spilled over into the West. So that's in the archives, Acts 2. The Yoruba, 44 million people. There are Nigeria, ethnic groups. They talk about this. Let's just go down here. Let's go to the mythology. And you'll see here the artifacts, these sort of, um, you can see right away the paganism, the uh, sexual, uh, because these Baal worshipers are all sex worshipers. 
So this is the oral history of the Oyo Yoruba recounts that Odudua, to be the progenitor, progenitor of the Yoruba and the reigning ancestor of their crown kings. Hopefully, we detect that right away. That's Nimrod. This Nimrod from, from, from um, Babel, they spread all over the earth and they took their religion with them. And they just called him different names. So here we go. Nimrod is the progenitor of the Yoruba and the reigning ancestor of their crown kings. He came from the east, sometimes understood from Ifa traditions to be Oki Ora, and by other sources as the vicinity, true east on the cardinal points, but more likely signifying the religion of these different folks. Okay, let's go on. After the death of Odu Dua, there was a dispersal of his children from Ifa to found other kingdoms. So they leave Nimrod, they leave Babel, and they found other kingdoms. It comes from the east, and they, and they leave there and they found other kingdoms. Each child made his or her mark. This is what this woman believes. This is her religion. Each child made his or her mark in the subsequent urbanization and consolidation of the Yoruba Confederacy of kingdoms with each kingdom tracing its origin due to them to Ifi Ifi, Ili Ifi. After the dispersal, and read this carefully with me, the Aborigines became difficult. So they left and then they became difficult and constituted a serious threat to the survival of Ifi. Thought to be survivors of the old occupants of the land before the arrival of the Odu Dua, these people now turned themselves into marauders. They would come to town in costumes made of raffia with terrible and fearsome appearances and burn down houses and loot the markets. Does that sound familiar? Burning down houses and looting the markets. And it goes on, that then came Maremi on the scene. She was said to have played a significant role in the quelling of the marauders' advances, but this was at a great price. Having to give up her only son, Olu Orogbo, the reward for her patriotism and selflessness, her swearing of allegiance, was not to be reaped in one lifetime, as she later passed on and was thereafter deified. And the Eddy Festival celebrates this feast among her Yoruba descendants. So it's not the, the reward is not to be reaped in one lifetime. So this religion, as they celebrate, they're constantly looking forward. But, but God sent an evil spirit. And do we, do we see that what this woman is into is divination? Divination, which is something that God has no tolerance with. He, he told the people of Israel, you see somebody involved in divination, uh, you put them to death. And these people were involved in all sorts of looting and shooting. And you see today all of this looting and marauding. And, and, and they say, uh, at the same time, she had to um, swear allegiance that she, she could not uh, have all the benefits immediately. So she had to swear allegiance in order to uh, have the benefits, but it wouldn't come in her lifetime. And you see today, these folks having to be humiliated because they're part of this same strange cult 
And so these folks have to humiliate themselves. And you see recently, uh, for some reason, uh, dressing up in African uh, kente cloth, uh, cultural appropriation, and having to bow the knee, having to worship and humiliate themselves publicly, and, and maybe even sacrifice their own flesh and blood as they swear allegiance and sacrifice their own uh, brothers and sisters, fellow Americans, as they bow down to this Baal and they contain, they, they're involved in this Baal worship and they just have to be humiliated publicly. God himself sent an evil spirit and that evil spirit came into the land and caused civil war, caused massive bloodshed. And we're seeing today this evil spirit sweeping through the land and the, the activism behind it, the rituals incorporated in it, it's all voodoo. It's all divination. And people don't know what they're doing. They're bowing down on the knee and they're involved in these rituals and they don't know the design, the architecture of these protests that they're being swept up in. And if we as Christians, how is it that we as Christians are going along with the whole world, in every country, every major corporation, the major tech, tech, tech giants, all the politicians, we all agree with, we all agree, well, hey, we're in sync with everybody. Red flag, red flag. And so the scripture shows us here that it was God who sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. So within the Israelites, God sent this evil spirit between them to fulfill the prophecy of Yotham. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously, even though they, they made him king, because of this evil spirit, they dealt treacherously with their own brother. And then we see here in the scriptures, I want to take a minute and read this. In Matthew 7, he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, therefore, listen to this. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would have that men should do to you, do you even so to them. So if your ancestors sacrificed everything to free somebody else's people, would you want those people to be grateful to you? To acknowledge at least that they made this sacrifice? Well, if that's how you want to be treated, that's how you should treat others. Would you want to be judged? You, you, you are a unique person. You have a unique identity. You have unique experiences that have shaped you. Would you want somebody just to broad brush you and say, oh yeah, you know, you're this race or you're this color or you're from this country, therefore you're like this. And they've never spoken a word to you. They have no idea what you think. Would you want to be treated like that? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would, that men should do to you, do you even so to them. This is a command from God. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way 
that leads to destruction. So if we're on a path and there's so many others on the same path with us and everybody agrees with us, and if we say the correct thing, everybody pats us on the back, okay, I would begin to feel a little bit nervous. If it's easy, oh yeah, I, I, you know, if somebody says one thing, we just condemn them and everybody agrees and cancels them. I'd be a little nervous because Christ says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go, which go in thereat. But narrow is the gate, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few there be that find it. So I'd be much more comfortable having a position where the whole world disagrees with me, but it's the right position. And it's how I would want others to treat me, because Christ tells me, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. So I'm going to take that position. And I don't care if the whole world disagrees with me, because Christ tells me that it's a narrow way. Most people are not going to find this way. Beware of false teachers. Or remember that lawlessness will abound because there's going to be false teachers and they're going to support the lawlessness and deceive many to go along with the lawlessness. And then many are going to hate and many are going to betray. So beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Abimelech was a ravening wolf inside. Even though he came saying, hey, I'm your brother. Wouldn't it be better for you if I, because we're the same people? Well, you shall know them by their fruits. So we need to examine fruits. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. And some people can be very articulate. Satan is full of rhetoric. So if we listen to rhetoric, we can get swept up anywhere. We need to back away from the rhetoric. I'll listen to the rhetoric. But first, I want to examine your fruit. What have you done for the church lately? What have you done for those in the body of Christ? Do good unto all men, but especially those in the body of Christ. How Demonstrate for me how you discern and make a distinction between the Lord's body and everybody else. And show me your passion for the Lord's body versus everybody else. I want to see the fruit. And then, then I'm going to listen to the rhetoric and, and I'm, 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 I like to listen to good rhetoric, but if it's good rhetoric with no fruit, I have a concern. Let's have good rhetoric, but let's have the fruit to back it up. Because that's what Christ tells us to look at. This, this is the antidote to deception. You shall know them by their fruits. So Black Lives Matter, show me your fruit. What have you built? Because all I'm seeing is destruction and an evil spirit from the Lord that is leading to civil war and the slaughter of many. Show me your fruit, and, and then I'll listen to your rhetoric side by side with your fruit. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth fruit, brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So we put Abimelech in power. Does he have the ability to bring forth figs? Does he have the ability to bring forth grapes? Does he have the ability to bring forth olives? These would be good fruit, but he's bramble. He, it's, 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 it's genetically impossible 
for him to bring forth good fruit. What he can bring is destruction. So let's give these people our power. Let's give them our support. And if all they can bring is destruction, if they dare touch a hair on the head of anybody in the Lord's body, and we supported them, oh my. Now we have to face Jesus Christ. And now he's going to show us the loss, loss of life, loss of limb, loss of property, loss of peace of mind, that his body suffered. And when one part of the body suffers, all, body, or all parts of the body suffer. And we supported that. We did not speak out. We had the opportunity to say, no, this is evil. This is divination. The whole world is going this way. We don't support it. We had the opportunity to speak up, but we didn't. In fact, if we spoke up, we supported it. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I hope it works out. You know what? If the Shechemites supported Abimelech in their integrity, then may it all work out well for them. But if there was ingratitude and betrayal, then may they destroy each other. And God will send an evil spirit to make sure it happens. Every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. This is what Christ says. Don't listen to the rhetoric first. Look at the fruit first. Examine the fruit, both inside and outside the church. These politicians, they can have good fruit. So, you know, somebody can be clumsy, they can be awkward, they can be crude, but they work. They work for their people and they produce fruit. And other people, they can be smooth and suave and they say all the right things and beautiful rhetoric, but they do nothing. No fruit, no results. In fact, the opposite, they destroy their people. That's outside. In the church, people can have great rhetoric, but there's no fruit. Think about it. Christ says the, the, the antidote to getting swept up with the broad way, the antidote to being swept up by deception, look at the fruit. That's how you'll know. So we'll just come back here. Uh, I'll just read this last verse and we'll pause for tonight. So the cruelty, so because of this evil spirit that God sent to break the bond between Abimelech and the Shechemites, that the cruelty done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. So God does not take treachery lightly. And these men did not have the Holy Spirit, but they were the covenant people. And look, and we're going to see as we follow through next week to finish this, we're going to see the end of Abimelech and the Shechemites. And we need to take warning that if any body, any brother or sister in the body of Christ is harmed by this evil movement, and if we have given our support, our allegiance, our encouragement, our social media posts, if we have supported this in any way, and any blood is shed, by a brother or sister just going about their business, but get caught, getting caught up in this, this uh, sweeping violence, this contagion, if their property is damaged in any way, 
if their livelihood is damaged in any way, if they suffer any loss, God is watching. And we'll see here how God deals with this. So I'm just warning, I'm pleading, pleading. God can send an evil spirit into the world. And that evil spirit can sweep through society and change society that suddenly we're just bloodthirsty and violence is everywhere because that's what the devil's all about. So this book of Judges is thousands of years ago, but it lays down patterns for covenant people. And it's, these things are written for our example. So praise God that we have these examples so that we should not lust after evil things. Let's set our sights on the kingdom. There, there is nothing we can do to make this world a better place. It's full of evil men. It's full of men with deceptive hearts. We need men full of the Holy Spirit, and we need Christ on earth. And this is not a pipe dream. This is reality. So let's study from the ancient covenant communities, see the patterns, how they transpired, and let's not follow the bad examples. Let's follow the good examples, and let's demonstrate our loyalty to Christ by first showing him that we can't see him, but we can see our brother. And we don't see the skin color. We see, we discern our brother in Christ, our sister in Christ, and we love them. We go out of our way. We, we uh, fervently love one another. And we're going to be a peculiar people on the earth. People are not going to understand us. But that's what the Holy Spirit will do. And as the violence and, and wicked men wax worse and worse, the Holy Spirit should get stronger and stronger so that the polarization between God's people and the devil's children becomes more and more pronounced. And God's people are going to seem insane. They're going to seem crazy because everybody's marching to the drummer of the, 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 the children of the devil. But we know what we're doing because we have the examples and we have the word of God. We stand on the solid rock. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's a wonderful, he's, his yoke is easy. He's a beautiful God. He, he is perfection and true beauty. Don't go after the ugly. Go after the beautiful. Jesus Christ is Lord. I love you. God loves you. Let's love one another. And let's fulfill our roles faithfully in the covenant.